Hello again, everyone. Thank you for joining me for Season 3 of Uncommentary. This is your host for the entire season. My name is Marty Duran. Thanks for joining. Big shout out to my Patreons, my patrons, I suppose, at Patreon. And if you would like to be a supporter, or if you would just consider being a supporter, head on over to patreon.com slash uncommentary and do it right now. Hit pause, jump on over there, and make a commitment for a minuscule two or three or four or five dollars a month. Will cost you almost nothing, will be a tremendous help to me. Uh, in paying for audio work and scheduling and just some little bitty things that help make Uncommentary the uh, growing and good and hopefully even better this season podcast than it has been. Uh, if you'd like to give a one-time gift, head over to paypal.me slash uncommentarypod and you'll be able to make a one-time gift via your debit or credit card. And uh, that would also be greatly, greatly appreciated. Now for this week's episode. My guest today on Uncommentary is Kelly Mentor. Kelly is an author, speaker, songwriter, and singer. She's passionate about women discovering Jesus Christ through the pages of Scripture. Whether through song study or spoken word, Kelly desires to authentically express Christ to the women in a culture where so many are hurting and broken. She's driven to share the healing and strength of Christ through the Bible's truth. She's written six Bible studies for Life with Christian Resources, including Finding God Faithful and All Things New. She has written three books, No Other Gods, The Fitting Room, and Wherever the River Runs. She is author of a cookbook, A Place at the Table, published this year, in fact, this month, and we'll be talking about that today. Kelly Mentor, welcome to Uncommentary. Hey, Marty, I'm so glad to be here with you guys today. So um, you are a Bible teacher and an author and a, a scholar of many, many things, and you live in Nashville. Not a scholar. <laughs> Not a scholar. You're a food <laughs> scholar. You're a food <laughs> scholar. I'm, I'm a, I don't know. I'm a, <laughs> I, I love studying the Bible, but scholar, I'm, I am not there. But maybe maybe in like five or six years, we, you could introduce me that way. You we'll heard see. it here first, folks. <laughs> there we Kelly go. Kelly <laughs> Mentor, scholar. You heard it here first on the commentary. <laughs> Uh, so you, I mean, you, uh, you are known in some sectors for sure. And, um, you've had a, uh, a really productive, uh, writing, uh, career, I guess is the best word to use. you you speak a lot. Uh, tell everybody who you are. Yeah. So, um, uh, I, you know, grew up right outside of Washington, DC and was born, uh, to, uh, pastor to, and, 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 um, my mom and dad, basically they started a church called Reston Bible Church the year before I was born and they're still there. My dad's oh, wow. still preaching. He's going to be 76. It's yeah, it's crazy. So, so they've we, been there for 17 years, right? Down a little bit, but they've been there for 17 years. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got that exactly right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, you noticed that I didn't say exactly. No, how you did not. I didn't here, notice. But, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> Yeah, it's been a while though. It's been a while. Let's just say that I'm 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 into my 40s now, so we'll just we'll leave it there. But uh, no, it's awesome. They've been doing this for a long time, and uh, so I I I grew up. I was your quintessential uh, evangelical pastor's kid, like the whole nine yard. I mean, the whole thing. And wow. so um, there was a lot of good that came with that, mm-hmm. and then there was a lot that was really hard about that, and um, and and so. I wouldn't trade it. It was, it was, it was great in so many different ways. And I would say that I definitely, um, received more good than there was hard, but mm-hmm. the hard, the hard 
was challenging and and then just sorting through, especially in our day and age, uh, sorting through, OK, what is really the heart of Christ and what is kind of like this cultural thing that we've done yeah. to Christianity? Yeah. And so at any rate that you can just add in all those pieces for the last 40 years. And and uh, let's see. Uh, 18 years ago, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I'd signed a record deal with Word Records. I didn't know that. I always, yes, yeah, I came, I came not writing books, not writing Bible studies, and it was purely music. And so, wow. yeah, I got a, had a deal with Word um, in my 20s and was super excited, came down here, was was absolutely convinced that the Lord was going to make me rich and famous all for his glory. So, <laughs> Amen. Uh, you know how that goes, just the glory of God and that's all right. of my rich and fame just going together. Is that your gold? Is that your gold pile? No, that's the Shekinah glory. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I know there's, so I was a little confused, but, um, but I got here and, and it was a really hard journey. I signed with Word and then uh, AOL Time Warner bought them out, yep. dropped all the new artists. Then I signed with Provident and then it was a imprint of Provident and then that company went bankrupt. And then it was just one thing after the next, after the next. Eventually signed with Kingsway, which then Integrity bought them. And I was just constantly spun out of the machine. And and really looking back on that whole seven, eight year journey, it really, the Lord just, he had his hand on every single disappointment, every single thwarted path. He was directing that, no question. But, but of course I didn't feel that or sense that in the time. And so it was, it was a really hard, humbling, humbling journey. But now I understand more of what he was doing in that. uh, I think he was really getting me ready to um, be a, to, to, to teach the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, you can bring all that same, uh, you know, pride or desire for glory and fame and all that. You can, you can walk that straight into ministry. You know, it's, it's not just in the yeah. music scene or whatever. You can walk it straight into Bible study writing or speaking or anything. And, and so the Lord was doing a lot, um, on my heart in that time. And, and eventually Lifeway, uh, a publishing company that you and I both know well, and they, they approached me about 11 or 12 years ago and said, hey, what would you think about potentially writing a Bible study? And at that time, you know, I was still really walking through a lot of the disappointment in the music industry. I was dealing with some depression and I was financially strapped. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just felt like my life was going nowhere. And I didn't want to just say yes to something, but the Bible had been profoundly, I just can't overstate it, just completely life-changing, life-saving for me. Mm. And so I had an an incredible love for the word. It just wasn't what I was thinking. It just wasn't what I thought I was going to be doing in Nashville. And so I came back to the editor there at the time about nine months later, and I said, okay, here we go. I want to write a study on modern-day idolatry, which, you know, is not like the happiest or hottest topic that you could choose for your Yeah, that's first your big se- that's your big seller right there. That's a big seller. People <laughs> want to deal with that's their right. modern day idols. I mean, people wake up just thinking if only I had a study on that. And so, we, you know, I think for a while Lifeway was like, well, I don't know, you know, but no, but they they got behind it and it was it was really a fan- fantastic that they allowed me to do something like that. And so I put that Bible study out and it kind of sat on the shelves for a while and and Beth Moore, uh, who, you know, we just 
love just great Bible teacher and speaker of all people. She got a hold of the study oh, and nice. decided to put it out on her blog. Mm-hmm. And it was the summer, I think of 2008 that she put it out on her blog and instantly it went out of print because wow. nothing to do with me, just her, her influence. And so that really changed the course of my life. I mean, it really, mm-hmm. d- d- I mean, it sounds like too much of an overstatement, but it really did. It changed everything for me because then, um, that was really when I began to, uh, write seriously, study more seriously in that way, and mm-hmm. then begin to get opportunities to go teach, which is a very, very sobering, uh, heavy burden. Yeah, it I, is. I, frankly, every time, whether I'm teaching a local Bible study or I'm t- teaching at my church or I'm teaching, you know, for, for a large event, mm-hmm. it, it, it is heavy. And so it, that's been the last 11 or 12 years is uh, writing, writing these studies, writing some books and, yeah, a lot of other things that have happened too, but that's which, kind of the, which the short is why journey today. I was completely surprised when, in doing some research a month or so ago, I went to Amazon to look at some books, and here is Kelly Mentor's cookbook of all things. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, now, so I, listen, that, I'm, yeah, I'm the, the guy. Was a little bit of a surprise. Yeah. Not only that, it's published by B&H, which I didn't realize was into the food and artisanal craft cooking uh, industry publishing. Uh, so that was something <laughs> that was something new. Uh, I mean, is Wolfgang Puck or somebody that like going to going to tweet this now that so it doesn't sit on the shelf? Is that how you is that your plan? I hope so. Do you have connections <laughs> to Wolfgang? Because that would be phenomenal. Um, yeah, no. So that was a little bit of a surprise, but, but here's where this kind of makes sense is that when I did my first study 12 years ago with, um, called no other gods, we included recipes in the study because I had been gathering with people and we just really felt like the food element and the cooking element Mm -hmm. lent itself to, uh, for people to open up and just be in real community with one another. And so we, so all those years ago was very, it was a very just natural uh, thing that we included was to include these recipes. And, and then we ended up doing that in every single study and it kind of took on a life of its own. And so that's when B&H approached me and said, what if we just did a proper cookbook, like a real, like mm-hmm. not a devotional, not about, you know, but just a cookbook. And, and so I, I love that idea because I love hospitality. I love, I love using food as a way to serve people, both believers and people who aren't believers. And, so I I tapped a friend of mine who lives in Nashville who's a chef and had her own chocolate and bakery uh, company. See, and I like this woman in, already. See, I know she's <laughs> incredible, Regina Pinto. She she's a cho- she's a true chocolatier, which That's is awesome. you know I, she's the only one I know. And we had served together with Justice and Mercy International and the Amazon, and and she's Brazilian, and so she brought kind of this international flair and sold into wineries and hotels and uh, restaurants in Nashville. And so I just said to Regina, I said, look, I can't, I cannot write a cookbook by myself. I really need your expertise. And so she agreed to do it. And the two of us have been working on this for over a year. And it is uh, finally, finally coming out, which we're really, really excited about. That's awesome. So um, those of you who are listening, it's called A Place at the Table, Fresh Recipes for Meaningful Gatherings. And uh, my wife has uh, a conservative count would be 150,000 cookbooks uh, that are all downstairs. (laughs) 
in our in our house. And and I just want to say that this one, uh, appearance wise, uh, presentation, this is fantastic. Um, I have Aisha Curry's cookbook downstairs, um, and this is every bit as good as what would I guess commonly be thought of as the top of the line. So if Anthony Bourdain had done a cookbook. Um, I'm not talking about the recipes specifically, but just presentation, the pictures, the, the structure, everything is fantastic. Um, and so I'm going to make the tiramisu by the way, hopefully this weekend. Um, so there's two, there's two things that I really, really, really like about the cookbook. One is you have a whole section devoted to the, uh, to why we should embrace soups. Now I just want to tell you. That soup is the way to my heart. I love soup. Uh, Sonia fixes tomato basil and homemade chicken noodle and homemade potato. And uh, all, I mean, I, I can't even name them all. Uh, but so we're a soup eating bunch over here. At, well, just two of us now. But we used to be a soup eating bunch. Now we're a soup eating couple. Why? Very good. Uh, why did you include an entire section about soup? Well, for for the reasons that you just mentioned. But okay, so for for starters, soup is healthy. I, I mean, it really is. It's it's so healthy, especially if you are making your own broth. Mm-hmm. And and I know that that can feel overwhelming for people, but it's not hard. It's just not hard. And we've got some broth recipes mm-hmm. in the in the cookbook and things. But so soups are generally healthy. Okay, that's for, that's one thing. Second, I love that you can feed a lot of people and you don't have an enormous mess. Yeah. Typically, you know, once you get that thing in the pot, you can clean the rest of your kitchen and you you don't have 20 pots and pans and dishes that are coming out. And so I, I like that piece. Uh, I love the way it makes my house smell as a soup is simmering, you know, on the stove for a while. And then it's very disarming. It's a very disarming, casual meal. You know, people don't have to get fancy to come over for soup. Right. And, you know, you can pair, pair a tomato basil with a grilled cheese sandwich, or you can, uh, that's what Jesus would do. I'm lunches. telling you right now, Jesus I, would do it. I totally believe that he would do that. Absolutely. And so it's just a welcoming, easy way to feed people. And I found that if you use quality whole and if you can seasonal ingredients mm-hmm. and some good cuts of meat, it, it tastes good. And people are surprised. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just actually served a, a uh, Mexican soup on Sunday and I had some people over and some that were out of the country and they kept saying, this is so good. This is so good. And it, it wasn't hard. It wasn't fancy, but I just, I, it was homemade. Yeah. I think that was really what it came down to. And I used a whole chicken. And so all of the broth was homemade. And, and so I just, yeah, it's, it's a very comforting it's a very comforting thing, but it was funny, Marty, because I did a little research on soup in the Bible. <laughs> so don't, oh. if you want to, if you want some good uh, reason to serve soup biblically, don't do research because <laughs> there's nothing but like judgment soup in the Old Testament. You've got Esau and Jacob and all this like you know destruction of relationships over soup. Nothing good happens with soup in the Bible, but we, we just have to take the heart behind it and believe that in new Testament days, Jesus yes. would be blessing. Yes, that's blessing right. Soup. So in, in the, uh, in so the Greek, that it. gravy at the uh, Passover was really a uh, chicken noodle soup. It was. So there we go. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad you said that straight. You know? so, <laughs> and, and as a scholar, I didn't know that. That's so I'm, <laughs> Well, you're still you learning. You've know. already admitted you're still learning. That's true. That's um, true. So why, um, talk a little bit about, well, let me say for, you almost lost me at the tomato chapter though. Oh, okay. Are do you not like tomatoes? I like all kinds of stuff made with tomatoes. 
I could not eat a tomato or a tomato sandwich or anything like my dad did when I was growing up. So just to stand at the kitchen sink and peel it and pour salt on it and start eating it, I know <laughs> that's not going to happen. I'm not going to slice it up and defile bread with mayonnaise and then put tomatoes on top of that. And eat. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take a, a cherry tomato off the edge of a salad and pop it in my mouth. I, it, I can't, but I'll eat almost any kind of tomato soup or, you know, spaghetti sauce with tomatoes, lasagna with, I mean, anything where they're a part of the ingredient I can do. I cannot eat a tomato. So why do you have a whole section in your book on tomatoes? Because Marty, you, you are so outside of the bell curve. I mean, we, (laughs) most people love a tomato, but here's the good news. Every, all the cooked tomatoes, we've got all that too. So we're, we're good. But I, I think I love tomato. You, we've got it in pizza sauce. We have it in ketchup. We've got it in salsa. I'm okay with it. I mean, it it is. So so that's the thing. You're going to be good. You're going to be good with 90% of what's in there then. But I, I just love tomato. It's, it's central to so many dishes. And so I just wanted to have a section where we just celebrated the the beauty of the tomato. tomato. (laughs) Absolutely. And, and canning tomatoes for sauces are incredible. Uh, so yeah, we, we, I had to include a whole section there because I love Italian. Um, But it, you know, you also have it in your pico. You've Uh got it. You, you've got it. it. It just shows up everywhere. So, um, I hate though, that you don't enjoy just a raw mm-hmm. tomato that it's, I, I maybe that's to... it. They're so subversive. See, they're getting into all the food and, and sauces and stuff. They're subversive and it just offends me. Maybe that's it. Oh, maybe that is, maybe that is. Yeah, I can understand. Well, <laughs> you know, we just, we just have to, uh, I think, it may be baby steps for you, Marty. Yeah. Maybe, so do you not even like like a cherry tomato on no, a salad? That no, doesn't, I'm, I'm 55 no. and okay. I, I recently, this is no lie. I'm 55 years old. I probably had not eaten or tried to eat just an actual tomato for 20 years until maybe last year or maybe even the first part of this year. And I thought I'm going to try and see. And I tried and saw and uh, I did not conquer. <laughs> it was terrible. Well, at least you like the cooked version and the sauce and all that. So we're fine. We we have lots of recipes for you. So this is Marty Dern and you're listening to Uncommentary. And I'm talking to Kelly Minter about her new book, A Place at the Table, and about food and cooking in general. And we'll be right back after this. I mentioned recently the series from Erdman's Publishing, The Library of Religious Biography. The series is edited by Mark Knoll, Heath Carter, and Catherine Jen alum. Um, It it's about 30 books now of various biographies. They sent me two, uh, Damning Words, The Life and Religious Times of H.L. Mencken by D.G. Hart, uh, and A Christian and a Democrat, a religious biography of Franklin D. Roosevelt by John F. Wolverton and James D. Bratt, forward by James Comey. Um, other books in the series include A Life of Alexander Campbell, uh, The Miracle Lady on Catherine Kuhlman, uh, George Whitfield, The Religious Life of Robert E. Lee, uh, the first uh, American evangelical, a bio of uh, Cotton Mather. Um, I encourage you to look it up. Just Google Urban's uh, and uh, religious biography series, and you'll be able to get to it. These are these are great books. Uh, most of them hardback, if not all of them, right now. Uh, and I encourage you to check it out. This is the William B. Urban's series, uh, the Library of Religious Biography. Uh, it's available on Amazon too. But if you want to see all the ones in order, uh, go to Urban's and check them out there. And you might find something that you like. So, Kelly, um, let's talk about hospitality a little bit. Um, why is it important? Um, 
you know, you mentioned scriptures and we read, and, and most people who've studied history know that at least in, or traveled in the Middle East at all, and you've been in the Amazon and this is true there, um, that hospitality comes more natural to a lot of people that are not Americans. We're, we're not quite as naturally hospitable as other parts of the world in the sense that mm-hmm. we don't just have people coming over all the time and preparing meals and having, you know, two hours to sit around and talk. That's kind of not the American way. But why is it important that we kind of learn that tradition from some of our other friends in other cultures? Mm-hmm. No, you're exactly right. And and honestly, I think it's I think it's a little sad because I really believe that this is where we connect and where we not just nourish our bodies, but where we nourish our souls. Mm-hmm. And so I I think I think it's incredibly important because this is where we have connection with people. When you think about food, it is the lowest common denominator in, on some level for humankind. Mm-hmm. We Every single person has to eat. Mm-hmm. So when you sit down at the table with someone, it doesn't matter – what your socioeconomic status is or what your what race you came from, whatever, we all have to eat. We all have to nourish ourselves. And so it's this one area where we all find common ground and where we can come together. And it's also, it's such a natural way to serve. And because everybody does need to eat, then we get to serve people in that way, whether I'm making a meal um, and bringing it to someone or having people over to my house and making a meal. It's just such a real, it's such a wonderful way to serve really by good. nourishing someone tangibly. So I, I and I, and honestly, it, this has been a little of a challenge for me because it, you're right. We don't live in a culture where we make a lot of time for this. We are so, we are so uh, isolated and siloed and everybody is busy. Everybody is running you know, kids to soccer practice or they, they, they're working late hours. And, and so we, that's why the fast food industry, it's fast because we need it fast mm-hmm. because we're busy. Um, but what are we missing out on? Not only are we missing out on some healthy meals, but we're missing out on the conversation mm-hmm. that goes with those meals. And that's what we, that's what I think we need so desperately. And that's where, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the times that I leave a dinner party and I get in my car and I drive away and I think to myself, man, I really needed that tonight. I yeah. needed that. And it wasn't the bolognese sauce or the, you know, <laughs> three leches dessert that I'm thinking about. What I'm thinking about was I needed that community. Mm-hmm. I needed that conversation tonight. I needed that encouragement. I needed to, I just needed to be around people in a relaxed way. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I don't, I mean, I think it's essential, but it, yet at the same time, we're, we, you're right. As a culture, we've kind of moved away from this. Or we just meet at a restaurant, which I love to do that too. But it's just not as intimate as having somebody at your table, yeah. having somebody into your home. I'm all for getting coffee and I'm all for going, you know, meeting somebody for lunch and all that kind of stuff. But there is an inherent limitation in being in a loud place where somebody could be overhearing your conversation, especially if you're talking about something that's, you know, serious or deep. Sure. Um, that being at your own kitchen table, uh, having coffee and a piece of pie or some cookies or whatever, uh, is just a little different. Uh, my wife reminded me, or actually, she reminded me of something that her grandfather experienced when um, he was still alive. He lived in Northwest Georgia, and she said, "You know, when we went to stay with him over the weekend, you just never knew who was going to be at his table on a Saturday morning. Uh, mm. it, could, it could be the preacher, or it could be the insurance guy, or it could just be a friend." 
but mm, people didn't didn't think anything about just stopping by and depending upon what time it was in the morning, they might have a cup of coffee, they might have breakfast, they might have whatever. Um, Sonia and I are trying to we're trying to develop some of that kind of um, uh, tradition or habit into our lifestyle. We're not real good at it yet. Um, she likes to joke. We, uh, before we moved to Tennessee, we had a home group that met in our house for a couple of years, I guess. And I was the guy that like, after a certain amount of time, I'm going to be up picking up all the stuff, taking it to the sink, loading the dishwasher while everybody else is still having a conversation. I just could mm -hmm. not sit and listen to just chit chat, you know, for an hour and a half or two hours or something. Right. So that has been a real strategy is to try to stretch my ability to mm. sit and listen and talk and engage and using really, I guess this is the way to say it, using food as the means to get me to be still long enough to, to delve into some deeper relationships. And I think that's one of the benefits that we're missing, as you mentioned, in fast food, which tends to be eaten in a car in a hurry, often alone, uh, uh -huh. without, hey, pass me the peas or, hey, pass me the salad or, hey, pass me this or pass me that. Um, yes. What are some, have you thought through what some strategies might be to help people who are in a fast lifestyle slow down a little bit? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with just intention, just planning that, cause I'm the same way. I, I you know, I'm, I want to move. I want to move on to the next thing. I'm very pragmatic with my time and, but just to be able to, to make a decision, like I want to begin to incorporate community and conversation mm -hmm. in my home. And I think that we can, we can develop a strategy for people who do know the Lord. And then also uh, just getting to know our neighbors. I've mm -hmm. had, I've had my neighbors, two different sets of neighbors over in the last couple of weeks. And it's been incredible. And we've shared meals together and I love that. And I want to be more intentional about that. But I think one of the things is getting over our fear. I think there are two major options obstacles. One is that we feel like our homes have to be perfect mm -hmm. and that we have to have this incredible Pinterest board presentation. Pressure wash the inside. This, yeah. Yes. And then have this amazing put together space. And I think that we need to set that aside. I mean, I think that there is something to be said for having your house picked up and having thought through, you know, what plates maybe in, and forks and knives and glasses you're going to use and that kind of thing, but it doesn't have to be fancy mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be over the top. So I think we relieve ourselves of that pressure. Uh, and then, uh, the cooking part, a lot of people just, they didn't grow up cooking. They didn't grow up around, uh, parents who cooked. And so they just don't know how, and they're really intimidated by it. And mm -hmm. that's something that Regina and I really wanted to do with this cookbook is to, offer a lot of recipes that are accessible for people that if you're totally freaked out by a raw chicken and making your own <laughs> soup, well, we're going to tell you how to do that, you know, and, uh, it, or if you just think all I can do is pasta, you know, well, we've got some pasta dishes with only six, seven ingredients mm -hmm. in them that, that you could really make a, a beautiful meal with. So, you know, just having confidence that you can put a simple meal together is a big piece making sure that you're not stressing yourself out about having to have a perfect home and then just being intentional about the time and saying, okay, on this night, I'm going to invite these people over for this purpose. And then just putting it on the calendar and making it happen. That's really and, good. And, and, and I, but I wish though, Marty, you bring up such a good point. I wish that it was just more natural in our culture. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've even been praying about on my street is that, you know, I would love for, 
you know, a neighbor who I know is having a hard time, I would love it if she just felt good about coming up to my door and knocking on the door at any time of day and saying, Hey, I saw your cars in the driveway. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here. Do you have a minute? Mm -hmm. And I, I wish that we lived in a culture where that was more normal. And I don't know how we make it more normal except for just to start living that way. And and, and letting people know that our homes are open. And that's as hard for me to do as anybody else because sometimes it's not a convenient time. Yeah. But that's the important work I think that we are called to as Christ followers is making time for people. And so I just, yeah, I'm hoping that there's, a, there, I'm hoping that we as a culture realize how not healthy it is <laughs> this yeah. way that we're, that we're living and that we would get back to just the ancient practice of, making meals and sitting down and enjoying them together. I think people who uh, live in rural parts of America probably are closer to that than those of us who live in either the suburbs or urban areas. I agree. Um, I think maybe even urban areas, uh, some urban areas anyway, are closer to it than, than the suburbs are. Uh, the The proximity in which people live and uh, the prevalence of you know pizza houses and Italian restaurants and Chinese restaurants and stuff like that in urban centers um, have become places where people meet. So they may not you know, be, be going to each other's apartments, but they regularly meet together in these other, these third spaces and rural, right. rural people still have that kind of a slower pace, uh, where they'll just drop by to see somebody and they'll go in, spend some time talking or whatever. Oh. It seems to be those of us who are in between the suburban life seems to be the hardest one to turn back to, uh, and I guess, you know, part of that reason is we left the urban, the, you know, our ancestors, whatever, migrated from the urban centers uh, mm-hmm. out into the suburbs. And we built a fast paced lifestyle. We have the ball fields nearby and we have the schools nearby and we have everything nearby. So we're going from point A to B to C and then churches in between. And then we've got this, that or the other dance recitals and this, you know, all this stuff that we're trying to squeeze in that seems to be missing from those other two areas, the urban life and the, the rural life. So maybe a bigger challenge for those of us who live in the burbs uh, than for some other folks to, to learn how to slow down enough to make this a practice. I think you're exactly right. I think you're totally right. I think the rural communities and the cities probably have a little bit more of that than, than we have in, in suburbia. So yeah, I, I think we just have to get ourselves cooking and get, and, you know, have people over into our spaces so we can have these really meaningful conversations. All right. I'm going to end with, uh, with this. We're going to, we're going to end with this. You say, this is page 230, I believe. Celebrations are good for the soul. Whether celebrating people, landmark events, or God's faithfulness is healthy to throw a party every now and again. Why yes. are celebrations so important, Kelly Mentor? Well, I think we see this all the way. I mean, look at you go back into the Old Testament and we see these feasts and these festivals that were instituted. And obviously they had to do with worship, um, God's people getting together, worshiping the one true God. But we noticed that it was the finest cuts of meat. It was it was these incredibly lavish feasts that that, you know, God, God put food at the center of these celebrations. And then you go to the New Testament and you have the parable of the prodigal son. And, you know, the the older son is frustrated that the father has celebrated the return of this wayward son. Mm-hmm. And, and the father turns to the older son and he said, you know, 
um, this son was lost and now he's found and we had to celebrate. Mm -hmm. We had to, it wasn't just an optional thing, but we actually had to, to celebrate this. And so there are so many uh, opportunities for us to celebrate. And and I love uh, Michael Pollan, who's written a lot on food. He has a book called Food Rules, and one of the things that he said, and I'm going to paraphrase him here, but he said something to the effect of have as much dessert as you want just so long as you cook it from scratch yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And so the the idea was you're you're probably not going to get up and every single day make a really rich mocha tort with whole – but when you do, enjoy that. And and so it's kind of like – uh, and with Regina being a chocolatier and a baker, she's the one that I co-wrote with who's a chef, w- you know, we had to throw in a lot of her desserts. And and I, I think that there are so many landmarks that we do need to celebrate. And, and it's I, I will say it's so easy just to walk down to the cupcake shop and buy two dozen cupcakes or to go down to some sort of a bakery and grab a cake. But there's something to be said when you begin to create something for someone mm-hmm. And around an event or something that can be celebrated, that you become a participant in the celebration. And it's just a very cathartic and, and tangible. And I really, I, I think that it's really important. So where can people find your Bible studies? I'm assuming Amazon.com, Lifeway.com. Are there any stores that carry, physical stores that carry them? Well, the, for the Bible studies now, uh, you know, with uh, Lifeway stores closing, a lot of the small mom and pop shops have picked up the Bible studies, which awesome. is kind of fun yeah. for me. So I don't know specifically, okay. but there might be some local stores that people are carrying. But then, of course, yeah, we do have the great big Amazon with Prime and all that yeah. stuff. So yeah. they're available there as well. So and uh, are you on social media? Do you do social media at all? I do. I'm, I primarily focus on Instagram mm-hmm. and Facebook. So yeah, just Kelly Minter. You can find me over there. But uh, and I like to to snoop around Twitter because it's very interesting. But it's <laughs> it's a little harsh for my liking, yeah. my personality. Yeah. So I'm not on there too much. But Instagram and Facebook for sure. The book is A Place at the Table, Fresh Recipes for Meaningful Gatherings by Kelly Minter with Regina Pinto. Kelly, thanks so much for being on Uncommentary. Hey, Marty. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Uncommentary. I really appreciate you stopping by. Big shout out to James Peach, my audio engineer, and my daughter Abby, who helps with the scheduling. If you're not yet following Uncommentary on Twitter, please do so at Uncommentary Pod, or you can even follow me at Marty Duran, both on Twitter, both pretty active. If you have not rated and reviewed in iTunes or your favorite podcaster, that would be a huge encouragement and a blessing. So please do that when you get just a moment of your time. Again, if you would like to support Uncommentary via Patreon or paypal.me slash uncommentarypod and make a one-time gift there, or you can go to patreon.com slash uncommentary and sign up for a monthly draft of whichever size you really want, starting at about two bucks. And that would be greatly appreciated as well. Until the next time, Sobadeo Gloria.